Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Article 50 has been triggered. So, what happens now? The clock is ticking, um, so we have got two years uh, before a deal has to be reached. Um, If there is no deal after two years, unless the 27 uh, remaining EU members decide unanimously to extend the time period, then the UK would leave without a deal. And with the UK's only physical border with Europe in Northern Ireland, how will Brexit affect the cross-border working? Even though we're probably 40 to 15 miles away from what may be a geographical border, um, the realities are that it will affect us significantly, Brexit, when it comes to our ability to recruit and retain staff. Hello, I am Elisabetta Zanon, Director of the NHS European Office. Welcome to the second of our podcast about Brexit and the NHS. Now that Article 50 has been triggered, we face two years of intense negotiations. But what will the actual process involve? How will it work? Where are Europe's red lines? And who are the key players? Sarah Collen from the NHS European Office talked to Fabian Zulek, Chief Executive of the European Policy Centre, to find out. Oui, bonjour, c'est Sarah du NHS. Je peux parler à Fabienne, s'il vous plaît? Oui, certainement, je vais vous ouvrir. Bienvenue. Merci. The European Policy Centre, which is based in Brussels' European Quarter, is an independent think tank devoted to, in its own words, fostering European integration through analysis and debate. Its president is Herman van Rompuy, former president of the Council of the European Union. And its chief executive, who I've come to see today, is Fabian Zuleg, whose areas of interest include UK-EU relations and the impact of Brexit. I started by asking him about the process that negotiations would follow and who the key players would be for the EU. The main negotiator from the European side um, is the negotiator of the Commission, uh, Michel Barnier. Um, He will be the coordinator uh, for the EU. Um, We also have a uh, key person within the European Council, so representing the member states, Didier Seuss. And uh, the Parliament has also appointed um, a uh, rapporteur on uh, the Brexit, the Article 50 negotiations, uh, which will be um, Verhofstadt, who um, is known to um, not be too much in favour of a good deal uh, for the UK. I would expect that we start to now have Um, First, a process uh, on the EU27 side of deciding what is the mandate for the Commission, what are the key areas uh, which uh, the Commission will push for within these negotiations. But in essence, it is now up to the UK um, to come up with constructive suggestions on how this withdrawal can be operationalized. Uh, what that means um, for the EU budget payments, what it means for EU citizens in the UK, and also what it means um, for issues such as Northern Ireland. 
The UK government has expressed a desire to achieve a comprehensive free trade agreement in parallel with the Brexit negotiations, but there are doubts about the extent to which this will be possible. These negotiations are not only about uh, the divorce arrangements, but they are also about um, taking into account the long-term relationship. Uh, the UK cannot uh, negotiate a trade deal as long as the UK is part of the European Union. And pre-negotiating a trade deal is impossible. Um, a trade deal is highly complex, it takes years, you have to go through it line by line. Um, the trade deal with Canada we have just concluded is 3,000 pages, it took five years to negotiate. Of course there are possibilities of transition arrangements, um, but I think um, it depends on whether the UK is willing to compromise uh, on some of the red lines uh, which have been mentioned. Um, free movement of people, budgetary payments, uh, European Court of Justice jurisdiction, uh, adherence to EU law. Um, I would only imagine that the EU27 uh, will accept a transition arrangement if the UK commits to maintaining um, these uh, kind of obligations. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you think the priorities from the EU perspective will be during the departure negotiations with the UK? The key priorities will be to um, tie up the loose ends which are there. Um, that means uh, looking at the assets and liabilities, um, looking at the rights of citizens um, or EU citizens in the UK, UK citizens in the rest of the EU. Um, there will be issues um, very specifically around Northern Ireland uh, which will have to be addressed. But I think the overall context um, also has to be borne in mind. Uh, the EU um, does not see the Brexit negotiations as the primary um, issue on the table. There are many other issues which have to be addressed. Uh, and what is most important is uh, to maintain the coherence of the European Union to maintain the coherence of the single market. Uh, anything which will threaten that uh, will be rejected, um, not only by the negotiation teams, but also by the capitals. Free movement of people, as Fabian mentioned, will be one of the red lines during the negotiations. This will be of key importance for Northern Ireland. The Northern Ireland Confederation recently had a roundtable discussion with representatives from both sides of the border to better understand the key challenges facing this unique relationship and what these heralds for the Brexit negotiations. Kate Ling reports. The UK's only physical border with the European Union lies here in Northern Ireland, and under current EU agreements allowing for the free movement of people within the EU, staff and patients alike are able to commute easily across the border with the Irish Republic. It's a unique situation within the UK, and with Brexit looming, representatives from organisations on both sides of the Irish border gathered here on the shores of Loch Ney to discuss the potential impact of Britain leaving the EU. Damien McAllister is Director of Human Resources at the Belfast Trust. We employ 22,000 of the 67,000 staff who are employed within HSC in Northern Ireland. Um, we would probably have um, upwards of maybe 1,000 of our 22,000 staff would maybe be potentially from the EU and non-EU. So 
we realise that we're becoming a more diverse workforce as our service grows um, and as Northern Ireland opens up as a place for people to come and live. So we are beginning to attract people uh, from all around Europe and all around the world to come and work here. And Brexit poses a particular challenge to that, um, particularly around how we're so unsure about how EU staff and the EU residents may be treated as we move forward with the Brexit negotiations. My name is Heather Moorhead. I'm the director of the Northern Ireland Confederation of Health and Social Care. We're represented on the Cavendish Coalition and um, we wanted to just take some time and bring all our partners and stakeholders together. So we've people up from the south of Ireland today, we've government, we've delivery bodies, we've providers and to have a conversation about, really an exploratory conversation at this stage about what's happening around Brexit trying to really identify the big issues and trying to sort of plan for what are the what are the things we do know, what are the things that we don't know to better understand that but then so that we're in a position to influence and inform and really plan uh, and explore the things that are emerging. Internally in our own organisation and in partnership with the Department of Health in Dublin we have been doing some work on this over the last um, six months or so my name is Tom Daly. I'm a, an Assistant National Director with the Health Service Executive South of the Border. The relationships with the Health Services uh, uh, north of the border would never be very far from our minds. So the opportunity for di direct engagement with people from the Department of Health in Belfast, from the Trusts uh, and various agencies here was very, very useful. For Damien McAllister of the Belfast Trust, the roundtable highlighted some of the potential complexities of the post-Brexit impact on the workforce. I think one of the things that it has flagged up as a real potential banana skin is probably not so much government agreement on this, but maybe professional regulatory bodies. And if there are easements made from the regulatory body's position in the UK, what impact might that have on the regulatory bodies in the south of Ireland, where there has been you know, consensus and agreement reached over a number of years. The systems are very much the same. They're the, really the only two jurisdictions in the EU that rely on English-speaking people, so hence the reason why the, the, you know, the, the regulations have been so similar. But now, will Brexit force a change in that? And I think one of the key things we've got to take away today is the lobby to put pressure on government to bring the regulatory bodies together across the UK and Northern Ireland to try and, and south of Ireland to try and come to come consensus. After listening to the discussion today, which was very, very rich, and I got a very, very clear sense that there are existing arrangements that are working well on both sides of the border and that people don't want to disrupt those arrangements as far as um, possible. Um, what are the messages that you would take away from today and what do you hope will happen next? Well, I think it's very important we continue to build on discussions like we've had today and also on the extent of relationships and arrangements we have on a cross-border basis. Um, we have seen examples, including my own trust for paediatric cardiac surgery and now in the northwest through the uh, radiotherapy centre, where we've seen progress made on an all-island basis. And I think that in a paradoxical way, Brexit might present a bigger opportunity for that to happen and that maybe we've got to realise that maybe special arrangements need to be made because health is a devolved matter for the Northern Ireland government. Um, and perhaps the biggest threat to Northern Ireland from Brexit is not from London, but more from Brussels. So in that regard, I think today has been a real significant opportunity for us to begin to explore more opportunities to ex uh, coexist and co-design and co-produce services on an all-island basis, potentially. That sense of optimism was echoed by Tom Daly. The mood was extremely optimistic and positive. 
uh, realistic. Uh, people understand that, that there will be challenges. And um, I think there was a pervading mood that the strong platforms of cooperation, cooperation, integration that we have built up with a view to achieving mutual benefit for communities on both sides of the border, that we don't want to lose that. And in fact, that we think that it's needed more than ever and uh, has an important role to play uh, in, in putting the discussion and the debate in relation to how things uh, are, sh- are, are shaping for the future. One of the big learnings or one of the big benefits was that the whole system was in the room. Heather Moorhead, Director of the Northern Ireland Confederation. Everybody is working on each bit and they haven't seen the whole. So when I, when I was listening to people, they were much, much better able to understand the whole, the whole issues. So that was the first thing. I think just the reassurance that the, people, the things that people thought were the issues are the issues uh, was important. So there was a level of reassurance. Uh, but the empowerment of actually using the process to get positive and say, how do we collectively deal with some of these things? What do you think will happen after today, the next steps for the Northern Ireland Confederation? Well, for sure, I think one of the first things will be is that we will get a report that we'll be able to share with our members. So there's a lot of conversation about it. People don't really know what the issues are. So just a briefing will be important. The sense that it's not just about government and it's about the influencing that we have with other regions. So how we can have our voice heard in through the Cavendish Coalition will be important. Um, how we can support our regulators work together to deal with some of those issues so that we almost have a little mini manifesto as we approach Brexit will be important and we'll be better equipped to do that. And I think one of the things that's important for me for Nikon is we've just got such a better set of relationships um, that we can build on as we start to have these conversations that will be important. The free movement of people and its impact on the ability of the NHS to recruit and retain staff is just one of the issues facing the health service post-Brexit. As negotiations get underway, the NHS European Office will be monitoring developments closely, bringing you insights into the key challenges for the NHS. To keep you up to date with the issues, subscribe to our Brexit Bulletin or visit our NHS and Brexit web pages or follow us on Twitter at NHSConfed underscore EU. Until next time, thank you for listening.